0: self-sustainability is the most important thing and we recognize that it's not for the sake of doing your job it's really just for the sake of being you and being your best person
1: you're listening to conversations on a sustainable life with Libby O'Loughlin and Renee LaPlante we're two friends an ex-googler and a novelist both of us trained coaches In the light of the climate crisis, we set off on a sustainability adventure. We packed our skills and our gifts into our toolkits and stepped out of our comfort zones to collaborate and co-found businesses and other initiatives with strangers and friends. Huge learning curves while juggling families. Can everybody's everyday actions be sustainable and have lasting impact? We think so. Join us as we figure it out.
0: Good morning, Libby.
1: Good morning, Renee.
0: How are you?
1: I'm fine, and I'm very happy to be doing this. Me too. Um, before we kick off, I just wondered if we, we should say a few words about who we are.
0: Yeah, let's introduce each other.
1: Oh, That's a great idea. Um, Renee, Renee LaPlante has a communications, people performance, recruitment, and facilitation background from her time working in the creative and technology industries. She's drawn to solving gigantic problems with data-driven and systemic solutions. I've seen Renee in action, facilitating her decarbonista workshops and moderating discussions with a wide range of people, trying to tackle the, at times, deeply unsettling task of lowering their personal, everyday carbon emissions. And I have to say, she's nothing short of inspiring.
0: Wow, thank you, Libby. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, hope that I can live up to that. And yeah, it's very, I'm very honored, very honored to be here with you. Speaking of Libby, Libby O'Loughlin has a background in publishing, creative direction and narrative media. And she's the co-founder of numerous social and sustainability enterprises, including a blockchain based product eco footprint tracking system. Becoming a parent of teenagers moved her to undertake coach training and gain a certificate in plant-based nutrition. So I met Libby when we shared the stage at a panel discussion for expats who are integrating into Switzerland, and she spoke about career pivoting. And frankly, I knew immediately when I met her, I wanted to be her friend. And the rest is, as we say, her story.
1: (laughs) Her story, history, (laughs) everyone's story yeah. <laughs> thank you Renee that's very kind words
0: well you're <laughs> awesome so you know
1: yeah thanks I'm really actually so happy to be doing this finally um, we've been thinking about this for a while now haven't we and yeah um, yeah sustainability is front and center in our lives and maybe um, we need to talk about what sustainability actually means to
0: us. Indeed, yeah, because that's a word full of, mm-hmm. packed with info, packed with mm-hmm. assumptions as well. Mm. Would you like to kick off? Sure, yeah. So I came to this word sustainability probably about two years ago when I was exploring um, a career pivot and thinking about how I have always been passionate about uh, serving humanity and in the environment as well. Um, essentially, I was raised by, you know, kind of hippie parents and uh, people who encouraged me to respect resources and, you know, not spend too much money if you don't need to. And those Midwestern values came <laughs> through. Uh, and having a name, LaPlante, a last name like that, I guess I just kind of really identified with the um, the natural world. So, uh, when I was, you know, looking at how do I apply myself to serving these two areas of humanity and, and and the natural world, I realized that I didn't really understand sustainability very well. And so I started researching and reading and talking to people and talking to experts and kind of actually even inviting people to spontaneous lunches to pick their brains and um, just exploring, like this fundamental question of why are we not sustainable yet? Uh, It really bothered me. I was, you know, trying very hard um, to live my life in a sustainable way, I thought. And it really was still a problem and it was becoming a bigger problem and and the voice of our Earth, you know, and our um, ecosystem suffering from the weight of humanity continued and continued, so I was trying to unlock that question, and uh, what I ended up discovering was a lot of great insights that um, we will be discussing over the course of this podcast, of course, but um, I'd say I really um, identified with sustainability through the lens of greenhouse gases and carbon emissions because they're measurable and trackable, and you can really evaluate whether or not you're making progress on it whereas to me the word sustainability the broad word is easier to kind of fudge or twist or um, make into what you want it to be and people have different understandings of what that word is so although I still am behind you know like driven by sustainability and the general spirit of it um, I you know kind of chose to really look through a specific lens in order to make progress. And that is uh, where I stand right now with sustainability and um, this idea of making my life sustainable.
1: Hmm.
0: Now, I know we met uh, before we even discovered we had this common love and common mission of sustainability. Uh, So tell me what brought you to this topic um, because I know it's mm. been in there for a long time. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, f- yeah, first of all, thanks for that 40,000 foot view, because I, I, I think what I really, really value about the way uh, you approach it is the clarity and the the um, the ability to, to kind of quantify some um, things. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I do love a good spreadsheet, <laughs> as do you. <laughs> um, and and at the same time, I do find it quite hard to put a story around um, sustainability and what it means to me in the sense that it was sort of a long, slow process of becoming a bit more cognizant of it, if you like to put yeah. it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I have found helpful is being able to look at things through the lens of the protagonist in a story mm. because, I mean okay, let's face it, I've written novels, I've taught people how to, how to write uh, long form, short form, all kinds of narratives. And um, actually Robert McKee, who is um, one of the big Hollywood story whisperers, who um, is, yeah, very, he's written a lot of stuff about storytelling. And yeah. um, he, he talks about the spheres or areas of conflict that a protagonist encounters in their journey. And um, I can, you know, I can put a a link to this in the show notes, of course. But um, in his terms, we're talking about three levels of conflict, Um, starting, I guess, in the center, which is if you think about concentric circles, Mm -hmm. the very center is the self, the protagonist in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, and the challenges and challenges that we face with our body, mind, or shadow, to use a Jungian term. Mm. And when we know ourselves, we can help others more freely and more sustainably um, because we can be honest with ourselves about our limits and our boundaries. And um, yeah, that's the sort of the inner part. And then there are the interpersonal areas, which is sort of like the next rung out, um, and that, of course, is we're well into the communication level of mm. other people, the people around us, um, the people we work with, our families. Um, and that's the, I guess, the coaching part of me stepped in there um, because when my, you know, when my kids became teenagers, um, they're sort of on the cusp of young adult, and one of them is a young adult now. Mm-hmm. Um that was the area that I felt really need I needed to step up in order to become sustainable and to to really be able to set boundaries be clear and all of that stuff so that's sort of the next level of sustainability for me (laughs) nice um and yeah again we can talk more about that in another episode too because I think it's it's invaluable to have some communication tools um And then the next level out is the environment around us. And we can break this down into different um, lenses, if you like, like social, cultural, business, the actual environment, nature. Mm -hmm. And in movies, this would be like the tornadoes are coming or the earthquake or the natural disasters. And it could be like even in The Martian, for example, the outer space. Outer space is the the big challenge that needs to be overcome there. yeah, so there, there's this sort of concentric circles idea. And that's that was quite helpful for me when I was thinking about sustainability because, um, yeah, for, well, for obvious reasons. But I, I would have to say that I spent many years dealing with those close inner circles. And I think that comes from, um, you know, having kids and um I th- depending on the kind of kids you have of course yes. whether, whether you're going oh, to be interacting with those really outer extremes as much as the um, the inner world and so yeah that that's my sort of 40,000 foot view there um, I love it. and for me it's just been really exciting to be stepping into the, the outer rungs if you like of sustainability and um, you know, co-founding a startup that's definitely well and truly in the sustainability space, as people say.
0: Um, And super exciting. I'm really delighted because we're going to cover that um, and kind of focus in on that startup and what you've done around that in an upcoming episode. So we'll just preview that for everybody now (laughs) that we will get into what that's been like. Really yeah, but cool. it
1: is such a fascinating topic, isn't it? Because I, there are just so many ways to think about sustainability. And I really, you know, having worked in the sort of inner, so, you know, it sounds like it's an <laughs> exclusive circle. Of, well, the inner concentric circles, um, spending, you know, lots of years being a, being a mum of little babies and small children and teenagers and adapting to different environments. And, you know, we all face our own demons from time to time. And, Oh, yeah. For me working with all kinds of different clients um, you know even in um, drug and alcohol uh, addiction rehabilitation center, mm-hmm. a clinic that I worked in that gave me a really interesting spin on all of that put together on what sustainability is and how how important um, it is to yeah to be able to be sustainable personally Um, Absolutely.
0: I mean, mm. just to jump in there and Mm. um, during my time at Google, I was really delighted and honored to teach a course that was about self-sustainability. And um, at the time, I I think it was pretty innovative and cutting edge that we were essentially telling the employees, you know, your self-sustainability is the most important thing. And we recognize that it's not for the sake of doing your job. It's really just for the sake of being you and being your best Mm. person. And when we, um, so it was an eight-hour course, and I was a a guest facilitator, so I would uh, partner with other facilitators. It wasn't my full-time job. It was something that I loved doing. And that um, experience, you know, coaching peers, essentially work peers on how to really prioritize themselves and um, learn about themselves was so rewarding, so incredibly rewarding. And I still get comments from people years later, oh, I remember you were my facilitator for that class. And Mm. it just brings me so much joy because uh, I use that information every day. And when we get good at self-sustainability and we feel we like we are taking good care of ourselves we're taking good care of our families we're taking um what we need um and not more then it makes more sense and it makes it gives us that foundation um to move outwards into those other circles so that progress is made instead of kind of this alternative which i'm going to create an analogy here about um, where I think our world has been in the phase, if you will, and for the parents out there, you're going to love this, of the hungry little caterpillars. So you remember this book? um, I do. Well, I mean, I have like three copies of it because it's always like a gift you get when you have a kid, right? (laughs) One in each room of the house. (laughs) I know. And I still can't, like, it's just so beautiful. It's, It's beautifully illustrated, but the story is also incredible and lovely and, you know, has so many lessons for us, simple lessons. But I really feel that our world has gone, um, from this is, is in the transition, I would say. And, um, we have been hungry little caterpillars eating our way through everything around us, wanting and wanting and needing and needing and telling ourselves we need things. And, um, accumulating and holding for ourselves and taking it for ourselves. And in some ways, this is also a human development thing where we, you know, we grow up and we learn to um, get the resources we need for ourselves and be self-sufficient and, you know, kind of uh, put our stake in the ground and say, you know, I see this in my six and a half year old daughter, I can do it, you know, Mm -hmm. leave me alone. I can, you know, I'm capable, you know, so building up all that confidence and in that process, we also take and take, and, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I am, you know, I I see abundance around me. I have so much abundance; it's almost overwhelming. Mm. Like, mm. you know, and I and I I look at like the mess of the laundry, and I'm like, that is abundance. You know, <laughs> I look at <laughs> you know ah, the dishes, it. and I'm like, mm. that is abundance. Like, I am so lucky that I have the these number of dishes because that means I've eaten that many mm. meals, and I'm and so all you know, those dirty clothes. Right. And it's like I've I've been able to do that and I I cannot see anything but abundance now. And I'm like, I have so much and I have too much and I am scaling back, you know, now. And so I bring this back to the hungry little caterpillar, because if we are if we are being thoughtful right now at this moment in time when we are going through a pandemic and we'll talk about that a little bit, mm-hmm. um, we're going to touch on that if we are thoughtful and we can really take a moment to pause and look at the abundance around us and realize how we have everything we need. We have everything we need inside. We have everything we need outside us. And it's now a matter of using these resources very carefully. And so we don't need to eat and eat and eat anymore like the hungry little caterpillar. We can bring ourselves into our cocoons, into our homes, into our families, into our units, into our business groups, into our work communities, and ask those important questions of what do we actually need to move mm. forward and to and thrive? Maybe,
1: maybe uh, related is the what does growth look like? Yes. And yeah, anyway, we can, we can go into that in another episode. That's a whole oh, yeah. episode in itself, isn't it?
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. Like economy growth, you know, uh, resource growth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So we, so I am taking this moment as we are going through this pandemic, I am, I am taking this moment as a moment of being in the cocoon.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm in the mm-hmm. cocoon, and I, I
0: see us all in our cocoons, right? we're We're having to spend way more time with ourselves and our families and our uh, mm-hmm. and online with our work teams than we've ever had before. And um, we are, are being asked to be introspective. We're being asked to be um, really compassionate of each other. and um, we're being asked to accept each other and accept these situations that we're all in. And um, I think this is our opportunity to come out through this as a butterfly. And this is really what the choice that we're going to get to make now um, as these restrictions of COVID start to relax. Mm. And let me illustrate for a second what a butterfly is. I mean, a butterfly is a delicate gentle light touch insect so the the butterfly is i mean you've we've all seen one you know just Mm. imagine imagine yourself as a butterfly Mm. imagine what it would if you only needed that many resources and that and you could be that gentle and that light touch on the earth going forward what does that look like for your life and how can you make different choices going forward
1: yeah, I, I love that, that image. It's I find it really helpful to carry an image with me like that when I'm going through my day, just to check in with occasionally when, totally. when, I, when I'm like, wait a second, this oatmeal is not coming off this plate. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot scrub it hard enough.
0: Soak it, Libby.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so we so we just touched on a couple things there which we can go into. Um, COVID-19. Hello, yes. COVID.
1: Yes, hello, COVID. Um, yeah. Yes. This thank is you, special everyone time. who's on the front lines. Yes, thank you. Mm. Um, yeah, this... <sighs> I almost don't know what to say about it because it's um, <clears throat> it's still unfolding. Yes. And I, I, yeah, again, it's another thing I'm not able to really put a story around at the moment because I feel like I'm observing.
0: Um, yeah. You know, what it brought up for me is this, um, this beautiful concept of interconnectedness that mm-hmm. is, from my knowledge, uh, something that basically a, a very famous Buddhist, Thich Nhat Hanh, and I'm mm. not great at saying his name, but I respect him in every way. Um, of uh, from the Heart Sutra, and it's a very small book, and I recommend anybody just read it. It's amazing. So, but it's this interconnectedness of our existence now. And it's really highlighting that to me of how people are interconnected. Our economies are interconnected. Our supply chains are interconnected. And that interconnection, it is in and of itself, it's a beautiful thing. It's, um, it's, well, actually Technically, if you're a Buddhist, you don't judge anything, right? So it's not, it's, it's, it is what it is. Yes. Um, <laughs> I find it beautiful um, because it just gives me that real um, sense of depth in what is going on, right? So, So this is a illustration right now of how we have... blossomed as a global world to be so interconnected and yet such a threat of you know a virus like this kind of coming across our lives and just completely wiping um things out and shutting this system these systems down and causing us incredible strain um that also and and i just have to say a moment just to, to blessing out to like everybody who's had loss or suffering during this time that, um, my heart is with you and that, um, I'm, you know, deeply, deeply sorry that if there's struggle happening for you at this time, because we share that struggle, we, we all feel that, you know, even though we're, um, you know, Libby and I are here in Switzerland And we're really benefiting from an amazing healthcare system and really great leadership. And, you know, we're even loosening up these uh, restrictions as we speak. But the important thing here is we're experiencing a strain on our ecosystem and the human ecosystem hasn't you know, so far we've been those hungry little caterpillars taking what we wanted, but now we are getting a strain and, you know, everything else has been under strain as well. The earth, the trees, the forests, the animals, the, um, uh, you know, every, uh, the oceans, the yeah. glaciers, they've all been under strain. And so now humans are getting a feeling of that strain. Mm. And I think that that's fair, and, um, you know, that's my personal view, but I really think that we are experiencing the strain that everyone else, everything else has been. And it's kind of like, you know, we, we, to remember, we share this, we share this space and, mm. uh, we are not excluded from the difficulty and the struggle that mm. the rest of the, you know, nature and humanity is being put on under. Mm. So that's how I have been kind of putting a story around COVID for myself and, and really with the intention of acceptance.
1: Yes. This is uh, one thing I've been trying to keep in my mind, I guess is not arguing with reality. Yes. (laughs) I love (laughs) that. (laughs) Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. How many Um, times do we just like fight reality? Right. I mean, mm.
1: Ooh. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, there, well, there are so many things in, in what you said just there. I'm just
0: where sorry. Where do we there. go from here, right? Yeah. It's like that Evita song that always pops to mind. <laughs> I would sing it for you guys, but I'll save you. I'll save that for another day. Um, yeah, where do we, we were, go from we, here? Mm-hmm. Well,
1: I don't know. Let's just take a look at um, sustainability practices before COVID, COVID and after COVID kicked in.
0: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So how did you start out? So let's, let's start with you, Libby. How did you kind of get your um, bearings around how, what you do and why you do it and, uh, you know, how to kind of make improvements on that, right?
1: Um, Yeah. So, well, if we go back pre-COVID, I would have to say an email that I received actually from, from you Renee was a, a good kickstart for me because um, I, you know, you mentioned your, your parents were uh, very conscious consumers and um, I think that's the same for, for, for me and my family. And as with every, person you at certain points in your life need to revisit your own stories about yourself and the narratives that you've built up about yourself and yeah. I guess I considered myself to be fairly um having a, a light tread on the earth so to speak mm-hmm. um <clears throat> excuse me and I love the email that you sent me that was actually s- saying more or less directly what do you do in your day-to-day mm-hmm that are sustainable acts or ways to reduce, um, reduce, reu- reuse, recycle, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And I took that as a, a challenge, a call to adventure, as you might say. And that was a moment where I realised that I was doing a lot of stuff that I didn't realise that I was doing in the name of sustainability. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there were areas that I could improve. And again, we're going back to being able to actually... Kind of quantify this stuff or at least put it on paper so that mm-hmm. you have a a benchmark um, that you know whether you're improving or not. I wonder if you can talk us through what the decarbonista um, framework is yeah of course well maybe maybe just do that now and and then I can get back on track if I remember yeah. how to get back on track
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs>
1: because I found it extremely helpful and extremely clarifying to be sitting in the workshop with you um and I observed that there were a lot of uh well a lot of the power was in the community of people Mm -hmm. um sharing ideas and um being able to come up with lateral thinking around particular challenges that people had but but do tell us because I think it's a very useful thing and we can certainly put the any links that you want to mention in the show notes as well for people because I think it will be helpful.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I guess the um, part of, uh, you know, the th- list that you were kind of talking about when you create your um, inventory of all the things you spend your time on. Um, and we all do it right we spend time on recycling we spend time on um, for example I buy eco cleaning products Um, Mm -hmm. I do uh, a lot of small things that actually took up a lot of time and so what I posed out to you know the participants and I remember that email because that was even before I designed the workshop Mm -hmm.
1: Um, it was very early
0: Yeah. It was just a question. So how do you spend your time and what is it on and what do you think it gives you in exchange? So, um, I love how you can
1: just pull these questions.
0: (laughs) So funny. That's just like, yeah, how it comes from my brain. But now asking those questions will give everybody a chance to, as you say, create a benchmark and that list will be insightful to you. So let's say you uh, recycle, you, I remember Libby, you like do, you know, drying, air drying, for example, with the laundry. Um, There's just a lot of different things that make sense. So composting, um, some of us do, some of us don't. And the question that I want to ask after we kind of establish those details for ourselves is how much of that has impact and how much doesn't and that's where people typically get lost in this process so there's no question that people are doing things that Mm -hmm. are helpful and Mm -hmm. because of the actions you've taken actually already and the actions everyone has taken we are in a better place than we would have been um but the reality is it's not enough and why is it not enough well it's a different environment today um the things that we're probably doing today are things that we learned when we were young and um, when this was a different problem so we Mm. kind of get into our habits and behaviors over time and think oh we're doing the right thing and we're doing good enough and yet the environment around us is changing. And this is something that I draw on from my days at Google, where um, we were really taught to not um, think necessarily um, about long-term solutions, but let's think about the solution for now, and then let's um, adapt it as the environment around us changes. Mm -hmm. So I would apply that concept as well to our environmental problem. So we're all taking actions. Um, the question is: Are they having the impact that we're intending? And is the time spent, and the energy, and even some financial effort spent on those actions delivering the impact that matters? Mm. That is where I think we have gone awry. And um, frankly, you know, we just don't know it. We're we we've not know we've been um, unaware. So when we can get recenter back into what has impact uh then we can start to make different choices and spend that time that maybe you know a collective um 3 hours a week let's imagine on nice things like recycling or composting or various um activities for mm-hmm. your home or your um work community and you you shift those into things that are higher bigger uh bigger return of impact for your time and money and effort spent So that's like the foundation, foundational like concept behind it. And, um, and I, of course, um, recognize that we are not the first people doing this and, um, we have a long way to go. And, but where I am really passionate is this idea that all of us as individuals, we are capable of having impact and furthermore, um, we are—we all have a decarbonista inside of us. That's my uh, mm. my intention <laughs> is to introduce you to your inner decarbonista, um, and that decarbonista is will guide you going forward. And the—and I just want to remind her every time that impact matters. So we bring it back to impact. We bring it back to check your data, check your baseline, check. Um, how to know that you are having impact before you go embark on new actions. So mm. that and plus you
1: calculate, you calculate if, mm-hmm. your carbon footprint, don't you?
0: Absolutely. So right,
1: right at the get go.
0: Exactly. So the calculation of the footprint is that baseline. And then we check that against like the actions that we're already doing and mm. um, so kind of compare those two data sets and ask ourselves, um, is this what we want? Is this enough? And where in our lives and our, um, regular behaviors can we shift things? So yeah, the, ca- the calculator is really important. And I want to make a comment about the calculator, which is that we are, um, every economy, so every country has different building standards, different uh, ways of uh, public transportation or transportation, different distances, different dynamics, right? The way that the city or the country is set up and ways of providing energy and uh, public services. And so it's very important that you pick a calculator that is your, uh, you know, match to your country and your standards of, of where you're living. So if you match to those standards of where you're living, then we're going to, uh, you're going to get an accurate read and that read, I will tell you my own personal footprint was 18 tons when I started
1: mm-hmm. about
0: two years ago. And I was, uh, shocked, totally shocked because I am, you know, th- I thought I was pretty, you know, green. I thought it was pretty sustainable, but it was because I didn't understand what had to impact and that unlocking mm-hmm. that, um, information is so it's actually really easy. And it's the hard part is, um, trying to change yourself after that, trying to tweak your behaviors, tweak your decision-making. And, um, yeah. and I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it takes some effort. Um, but it's also so rewarding. Mm.
1: Yeah. And I, I just found it so clarifying to have, have that reading for myself. I actually don't I don't have my reading here, and I can't remember. So, but I do remember thinking, yes, well, flying to Australia is obviously going to blow me out.
0: Yes. Every,
1: every time I do that, which isn't every year, of course, but it's enough to to last me a few years when I do it.
0: So true.
1: So, yeah, but um, I guess heading into the the COVID discussion again. Mm-hmm. Um one of the areas that I had focused on after doing that first workshop was, of course travel, and mm-hmm. well, clearly there's no travel to be done, certainly not to Australia right now. um yeah, but in general, I, I own a car. We didn't have a car in in Switzerland for the first couple of years because let's face it, the public transport here is second to none. That's true. Um I just found I was having a little bit of difficulty actually getting to. Events when one of my kids would just lie on the ground and miss bus after bus oh, after they <laughs> and just, train
0: after train. Torture us, don't they, those kids? They
1: do, they do. Um, yeah, anyway, that we do have a car, so I, I'm driving less, and I didn't drive, I would say, a whole lot before, but yeah, it's nice to know that I'm driving less. Yeah. And that I'm also consolidating um, shopping trips because I oscillate between wanting to you know eat fresher food and shop more frequently but now thinking well actually i don't really want to be hanging out in the supermarket any yeah, more than I. for sure you know we have a local farm so we can do that but less trips is good um the other area of reduction for me was actually garbage and compost and i i mm-hmm. sort of i made that intention that i was going to reduce the amount of food waste and um, composting, we do that anyway, so that's that's fine. But that's part of food waste, really. Um, yeah, that that to me is a, uh, and still is a big area of challenge. Um, I think between pre and post COVID, uh, it hasn't altered a whole lot, except that um, it's very yeah, it's a bit. Our household setup is a little bit complicated with sometimes we have three people here sometimes we have five Mm -hmm. and it's sometimes that means that I'm trying to freeze a lot of food and find people to give food to if I can't you know get my son to eat the same thing four days in a row yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah
0: yeah um go ahead no I was just gonna say that the pre and post COVID is a really cool opportunity to check your snapshot. So to take these snapshots of how we're living. And, um, if you do calculate, you know, you have your calculation from before COVID and I'm curious, Mm. you know, if you could calculate now during COVID, what that would look like. Um, I did a little bit of a a quick check and discovered that my transportation, didn't you?
1: You weighed your compost.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did weigh my garbage twice, but that Good. is um, not for the the week. You know, you gotta <laughs> you gotta really want it.
1: Did you break it down like this? Is how much, like.
0: I do. I separate compost and recycling and cardboard and all of that first, and then I just stick to the 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 stinky, icky, you know, waste part. But. Um, Yeah, I love that. So I I can go into so many details on garbage, but, um, (laughs) what was I even talking about? The pre and post COVID. So having the benchmark. Yeah, the benchmark. Exactly. And so now I can look at my footprint, um, my current footprint and I'm, you know, moving around much less. I mean, I'm not even, I'm not on the bus. I'm not taking public transportation. We haven't had a car for almost, you know, almost 15 years. So, um, but, Uh, But I will say we have had to, had to, we've had to, the opportunity to go back and forth from our vacation chalet a couple times in this time period. And we rented a car to do that. And normally I would have taken the train. So I think this time is not necessarily, you know, all, you know, sparkles and champagne, you know, like we are still using plenty of carbon, plenty of greenhouse gases right now. And we might not be using them in the same places, but we are using them and it's shifting around. Um, And I must say at this point, something that I've observed and heard
1: from a few different sources mm -hmm. is that a lot of people are getting in their cars just to
0: go for a drive to get the heck out of the (gasps) house. (laughs) Yeah. Can you blame them though? I mean, this is like, yeah, sometimes you just want to... A little freedom. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah. So we're, you know, as much as this is a really cool time because overall, and I did do the, I did look into the numbers, CO2 globally has come down. The main areas are flying and driving. Mm-hmm. So road and air transport. However, shipping is still happening, freight is still happening. Um, All of the food waste uh, Mm. related CO2 emissions are still happening. Mm. In fact, those have gone up. Um, We are, you know, still taking oil out of the ground and crude oil, which blows my mind that that's happening uh, when we're not even using it. Uh, And the price has dropped to negative. Um, And, you know, there are still things that are going on all around us um, that are producing CO2. So, Although we have a lot of, sorry, I'm turning that off now. Oh my God. Although we have a lot of opportunity to assess and we're kind of going through behavioral change right now, forced behavioral change due to the pandemic, we, this is not necessarily the right path for us to move forward on. So it is still important to regroup assess, take your numbers, look at them and really properly evaluate what and choose how you want to move forward Mm. when we do move through the pandemic.
1: Yeah. And uh, can we just talk about toilet paper
0: for a moment? Mm. (laughs) Oh my God. Do you have any stats on toilet paper? (laughs) No. In my own home, I have an inventory now. so, (laughs) So maybe let's yeah maybe we do we, I know exactly how many rolls are in my bathroom right do now. Do you
1: know what constitutes hoarding? Is there like a an actual statistic on that?
0: No but I'm sure there's a definition out yeah. there. Yeah
1: so I found this really interesting article that was published almost a year ago to the day
0: mm-hmm. Why
1: Switzerland Stockpiles for Possible Emergencies Oh mm. tell us um, It was in Swiss Info um and yeah. it's uh self-reliance is an integral part of swiss history and economic policy and the country stocks food medicines and oil in large quantities to cope with possible shortages so what's kept on reserve mm-hmm. now in the past it looks like there were soap, screws lubricants cocoa and even tobacco um and that that it was last revised in the nation's economic supply act was last revised in 2016 and now focuses on staple foods such as sugar oil and cereals, uh-huh. energy sources petrol and fuel oil mm-hmm. and medicines antibiotics and mm-hmm. vaccines and all these goods must cover normal needs in the event of a crisis for three to six months and wow yeah, Are citizens involved? Switzerland recommends that each household should have a stock of drinks and food for a period of seven days in the event of a disaster. Mm. And I do remember that being part of our lease when we signed our, um, to get our apartment. There was some mention of that. But at the time, (laughs) I spoke one word of German.
0: So I, I don't actually, I should look that up. But so you don't have your stockpile in your basement, is what you're saying? Well,
1: no, but I am guilty of having a lot of chickpeas because, um, as you may know, that in, in or you do know, in my family we have a lot of a- allergies. And if you imagine a Venn diagram of the foods that people can eat right in the centre, yeah. sort of lentils <laughs> and chickpeas oh, yeah. and, uh, yeah, fruit and veg, basically. So... <laughs> um, when we when in the first week of covid lockdown like the the supermarkets were i kid you not they were empty the, of not of people yeah. but of food the shelves
0: were empty oh yeah especially those chickpea and I flour and, and all those grains mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm.
1: and uh yeah of course you can soak and do all that stuff which i do um and all the cans were completely disappeared and oh yeah uh that sent me into a little bit of a spin because I can go through a ton of chickpeas a week with <clears throat> basically five adults here. Um, and we eat hummus. I should put a good hummus recipe up for people because it's such a great, yes. great food. Um, Please, because I don't
0: even know how to make it. I'm like, It's embarrassing. I'll have a
1: look on my... I think I might have one on my Instagram stories. Otherwise, I'll, I'll do one for you, Renee. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so a friend of mine when she heard my distress <laughs> about having no chickpeas Aww. she dropped a huge bag at my door and I, I, I you know one of my neighbors saw me picking it up when i was you know she didn't come in or Aww. anything and i thought gosh you know i had a moment of wow am i hoarding here is you know one bag of
0: chickpeas but I, how big was it i am like imagining you like carrying well, two well, hands a pallet and... of chickpeas <laughs>
1: can you imagine <laughs> Yes. But I was so grateful, just so grateful. It really just, you know, kept us going. And as a, you know, you realize and uh, um, we're predominantly plant eaters in this house. So it was yeah. really just a life-saving thing for me.
0: Of course. Um, yeah. yeah. So, But that makes sense, Libby. I mean, the, that is not the definition of hoarding because <laughs> you're using it, for one. And... Um, also, I don't think that you technically could ever fall into that category, you know, by definition. Um, but the, with toilet paper, I mean, you know, the thing that I found really strange was I just don't know how much we use in our household. Like, I never had that number in mind, Oh my right? gosh,
1: there's a spreadsheet how... opportunity. <laughs> Get the joke? Is that... Oh, good Lord. (laughs) Oh, dear. We're going to have to put the E for explicit on this episode, Renee.
0: (laughs) But listen, like, I was kind of panicking at first because I never have had my entire family home for every duty, right? So how do you know how much toilet paper you need? So I'm sure, you know, like, I understand if people went out and bought, like, you know, a few pallets or whatever, because again, you don't know how much you're going to use. Like usually we're out and about, we're using public toilets, we're using Mm -hmm. toilets at our offices that are, you know, at the park or whatever Mm -hmm. at school. And, uh, yeah, that changed overnight. So we definitely didn't have enough and I, but I didn't know how much was enough. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, you know, the stores are restocked and I was there yesterday and I bought a set of, you know, 12 rolls and it's like, okay, we can calm down about this now. (laughs) Um, but at first, it was really kind of an well, anxiety well, in producing. If it
1: makes you feel any better, Switzerland recommends that each house should have, in this emergency applies. This is from the advice of the Federal Office for National okay. National Economic Supply. Excuse me. Nine liters of drinking water per person, food for a week, mm-hmm. torch with backup batteries, candles with matches or a lighter, battery radio, camping stove, gas or gel loo paper, that's English for, you know, British for toilet paper. (laughs) Got it. And then a first aid
0: kit and the usual medicines. So,
1: okay, it's on the list.
0: Do you have all that? I think I have like uh, maybe two things missing.
1: Well, I don't have a battery radio.
0: Yeah, exactly. Who has that?
1: A lot of people I expect here do. Good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, so there we go And um, one other thing that I've been doing in COVID time That I was not doing as much in the past years I used to do it more when my kids were little Is sewing mm-hmm. So I sewed a couple oh, yeah. of um, reusable masks And Very nice Libby Yeah, they're kind of stylish They've got Japanese fabrics in kind of patchworky thing going on
0: lovely um, super lovely
1: and even if it feels a bit ott to be wearing one when i go to the supermarket i think mm. it makes older people feel more comfortable
0: good point yeah when yeah. Cause there
1: are a lot of older people <clears throat> around where we live so um.
0: for sure yeah i haven't um ever become proficient in sewing but I have to say, my husband and my daughter are already better than me, uh, and we do have a sewing machine, so um, that is a potential possibility. But I also heard that there will be masks delivered to the grocery stores soon, mm. and that we, you know, you can. I've seen them at the pharmacy or the apotheca. Yeah, I suspect the that they're um,
1: <clears throat> more effective, the ones that, that are made.
0: But I don't, I don't
1: know. But in in any case, they're reusable ones, and I can, I yeah. can. I can even put the link in the show notes for how I made them, which YouTube which YouTuber I followed <laughs> to, yeah. to make it. Yeah.
0: Please do. That's great. And it
1: feels good that I don't have to throw them out afterwards because I this is one of the other points I wanted to make that uh it I do feel a kind of visceral distress seeing all the plastic gloves that are being collected at the supermarkets after they've been used and in, oh, in the the plastic bags.
0: I know. And you know what? I mean from a staff perspective, petroleum based products like plastics are increasing right now. So for food packaging, for yeah. all of this uh, safety, packaging, mm-hmm. medical, etc. Uh, that is going up. And yet, I have to say, they, to me, that is a valuable use of that resource. That is a warranted use of that resource if it keeps us safe. And um, then it becomes a question of how do we dispose of it, right? Yeah. How do we make sure that that is not an overconsumption, but at the right amount of consumption, and then we use it, we dispose of it in a safe way that doesn't add more pollution to our world. Mm-hmm. That's that's a hard one.
1: Well, with my blockchain-based tracking system, we'll be able to know oh, yeah. how much recycled plastic is in each product, the percentage of plastic. That's amazing. Mhm. It is. That's amazing. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um so, yeah, that brings me to the end of my little list of co COVID- pre-COVID and during COVID sustainability observations. Uh, uh, One other thing was just the amount of cardboard that is lying around the neighborhood on cardboard pickup day. It's just massive now. But other than that, did you you have any
0: particular... No, you're right. The cardboard is um, out in full force um, because I guess people are doing more online purchasing for sure. And yeah, that comes in cardboard. I mean there's just in my household i've just got an abundance of glass recycling uh, for some reason i think you know again back to those beans and jars and you know having shelf stable things Mm -hmm, on hand mm -hmm. has been more important um tin cans and stuff so that has uh, expanded considerably and we're going to the recycling center a little more often um but yeah we're you know we're getting by, I think, you know, as we start to understand the shape of this virus, we're going to all be able to make better choices and thoughtful choices and not to kind of react as much. So, um, that is, yeah, for me, the direction that I want to go is to start being able to plan a little bit more in advance and, you know, purchase those things, get back to my low waste purchasing for our household mm. that I was doing before. Um, you know, washing things more and using cloths and re- reusables instead of paper towels and, uh, disposables. So, uh, yeah, so those things are definitely on my to-do list for moving forward. And can I just throw in on the topic of toilet paper? I know it's a bit de- delayed, but, you know, one thing that we often don't really kind of think as a, as a benefit to our world right now is recycled products. So we kind of think, oh, well, that's nice that it's there on the shelf, but I'm not going to use it. But using recycled products actually is highly, highly recommended. And um, in the space of paper and paper products, um, what you've, a, re, a recycled paper product is, is Ex- like excessively more sustainable than a, a fresh virgin uh, tree mm. or grass or wood that was harvested yep. in order to make that product, right? So, um, even if one thing you want to walk away with today to do that is um, gonna you know definitely move you in the right direction is gonna help all of us and help the world is to move towards recyclables and recycled products. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you consume them, consume recycled products. And of course, as you're getting rid of your waste, recycle. Uh, So those are just two things I want to point out um, that it is helpful. It is uh, shifting the demand into a different direction. And uh, yeah, so if you're favorite toilet paper is sold out or your favorite paper towel or what have you and you're still using paper products go for the recycled ones Mm -hmm. that's already a step that you can make yeah well we are I think we're kind of wrapping up our first episode of our podcast this has been super fun
1: I've really enjoyed it yes we covered a lot of ground and a lot more to cover in the future
0: so much yeah
1: so next time what will we talk about
0: We are going to be exploring on the topic of how to be bold and brave during this time where the pandemic is still in progress, um, where the government is starting to give out money and stimulus packages to move our uh, economies forward in spite of the pause that we've been going through. And I want to do a little bit of um, exploration of. With you, Libby, about how it has been to uh, start your startup during the pandemic, to you know, explore the financial side of this uh, situation, to think about the economics of it, to think of how we as citizens and um, involved uh, alert um, voters and participants in the world can really make our voices heard and see where um, maybe Libby and I can give some guidance or uh, some inspiration or even just share our personal stories around what we're up to.
1: And uh, spoiler, I think it's gonna involve
0: bravery. Oh yes. We need to talk about bravery. Can't wait, I love that word. (laughs) Thank you Libby, I loved it. This was fun. Yeah, looking forward to next time. Thanks for joining us. The links are in the show notes. And if you've been inspired by this episode, please do share it with your family and friends. We can do this sustainable life thing together. Until next time, thanks for listening.